Welcome to Dan and Matt Chew the Fat, our weekly podcast where we have a look at all things from around the grounds in the weekend sport, our favorite pop culture. We're going to do a bit of educational stuff, plus a true story or two and a wicked quiz. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Chew the Fat with Dan and Matt. Thanks for joining us for episode two. In this podcast, we're going to look at man, woman, and child's best friend, the dog. Firstly, we're going to kick off, though, with a segment I like to call They Said What? Where we look at what you said about what we said in the last podcast. Quite interesting stuff there. Then we'll go to Wild Kingdom, where, as I said, it'll be all about your favorite four-legged friend, the canine, the history and some interesting facts and some true stories. Then in Sports Alert, Marts is going to pull on the tights, step into the square circle and have a look at a world famous tag team from the WWF. I'm going to look at a couple of important losses since our last podcast has been a retirement and a death of a legend. In pop culture we're going to continue the canine theme with our Mount Rushmore of dogs in movies. Uh, we're going to go for a top five. It was four but we're going to go with Martz's Mount Rushmore. Finally there'll be a quiz so pay attention, keep listening. Answers will be at the end. Let's get into it. <gasps> they say what? Okay, so last week I was talking about, sorry, last podcast, talking about magpies, okay, swooping. And I said that we were approaching uh, swooping season. I had magpies in the park and they've started swooping. So I, you know, thinking about everything I talked about, you know, I went out there and I, I um, gave eye contact, went in confidently, but not aggressively. I had no tennis racket or anything like that. And I got swooped. So it didn't work. They swooped me. But I think that's they just don't like me. That, they don't like your particular. face. They've already they've already got your face down pat. I said that kid. I think that they have uh, decided that I'm bad news. So I'll have to wait to the next generation, 25 years. It brought back some horrible memories, bro, of um, being swooped. I remember when I first learned to ride a bike. Um, I think it was, it was definitely you and I. Yeah, and and Olivia and me. I think it was Olivia and I. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we were. Uh, up at Broome Street in Cottesloe, people in the western suburbs would, would know that area. We we're riding our bikes along there. And uh, we had previously experienced the uh, horrible magpies of John Street, which is, you know, road going down to the beach from Broome Street. I think it's known as Magpie Alley, in fact. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Olivia and I have been swooped and we got the crap scared out of us. And so we, we rode back up there. And uh, I guess this is a separate day. And, and we rode back there with our little brother. And uh, we're like, hey, Dan, why don't you try riding down that road? We'll time you, see how fast you can go. So we sent him on his way down the uh, magpie alley and uh, hilarity ensued and he was swooped and started crying, carrying on. I think he ended up in the bushes somewhere. <laughs> I think I was four or five. I learned to bike ride pretty early in my life and I was uh, very excited to show my older siblings that I could do it. And that's the kind of stuff I put up with as a kid, to be honest, the youngest of four. Um, I could tell stories of monkeys in Bali that nearly ripped my ear off. And uh, many, many times I was set up for such hilarity. But anyway, it didn't work, my magpie um, attempts at befriending, but let's hope next generation will be a better thing. Uh, Russell, my cousin, he he, he wrote in saying that – he remembers Jaws vividly too because we lived on the on the coast there in Cot, Dutch Inn, 
And he first saw the movie when he was about six years old at our house. Completely wouldn't have been allowed to watch it. But he, um, we made him watch it. And then we went for a night swim in the ocean straight after. And Russell clearly remembers uh, pretty much pulling his pants in the ocean that night. So sorry about that, Russ. But that's exactly what my siblings, that's how we lived. That's how we rolled. So uh, that was a bit of a Jaws feedback. Surprised to see in the newspaper the, uh, in, on the website after we wrapped last week, that there was a, a large shark off Secret Harbour, which is near your location down there, and they were calling it uh, seven metres long, which uh, whoa, all crap to me, but like uh, a, a huge shark and uh, it was just swimming off the, off the coast there the next morning. And I, I had a feeling it might have heard you calling it the Great White Turd and maybe it would uh, <laughs> come along. Yeah, I certainly didn't see that, but that would have been amazing. But yeah, seven meters sounds like a little bit of a, a furphy to me. But um, yeah, there's some big ones cruising parts. Of course, it's ta- uh, the Taylor are running, or the salmon, I think it is actually. But so they're they're, they're on the move. Seven meter great white sharks going to eat a lot of salmon. I think that maybe <laughs> eating uh, whales, not salmon, but still. Yeah, that's a beast. So we've got an Asian correspondent who's listening to our podcast. Thanks, Josh. Um, he pulled me up on a lot of stuff. He's a persnickety little bastard. So he said that the in USS Indianapolis sunk after delivering the bomb, of course, not during, because otherwise that would have been a catastrophe, a nuclear bomb on the bottom of the ocean. And it was actually headed to the Philippines, which is about 9,000 k's shy of where I said Hawaii. So I wasn't too far off. And the captain later committed suicide because the Navy held him responsible somewhat, or that catastrophe. Thanks, the Navy, for standing by your man there. But our little Asian correspondent there, Josh from China, um, thanks for that. He also pulled me up on, um, you know, that for the French woman, we were saying, her name was actually Marie Jose Perec, two-time world champion, gold medalist in Barcelona and Athens. And she was actually bullied out of Australia by the Australians pretty much. But, you know, stiff shit, that's what the French do to us all the time. So catch you later and she won. Uh, of course, Kathy Freeman. So that was a that was pretty much mine. The only other thing I found out was that I said there were a, there were Italian stonemasons that were building the Donald Trump Memorial at Mount Rushmore. They were actually Mexicans. I was incorrect there. So Mexican stonemasons building Trump's face on Mount Rushmore. So Donald, who's got coronavirus this morning as we speak, is uh, indeed, and it would be the fifth one. But we're still going with five. And there's a movie called High Fidelity, and they did top five. So that was a good movie. Check that out. I uh, had a lot of people asking me, what did you think about Jaws 2, Jaws 3, Jaws 4, and Sharknado? Do you uh, rate any other ones? No, absolutely not. And in fact, that's why Jaws stood out for me, because I think it's the only really solid or shark movie. I, I don't mind the, the was it was 47 metres down. They all get ridiculous. Um, the one, the reef or whatever. Actually, there is a really good one where these guys get shipwrecked and they ha- they're just floating and I really should have the name for it. It's 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 a really good film where they're just sort of stuck on these with the uh, mask and snorkel floating and this great white just stalks them. It's quite, quite realistic, I, I guess, in a sense. It just picks them off one by one. No, the Jaws movies didn't rate them at all after that. They became just um, kill fests. There was no character development. That's why I love the first one. They built these characters. It was a really good novel. Um, so it had basis, had substance, whereas after that, they all just wanted to see the shark eating people again and just set up scenes where that happened. So that's a no to Son of Jaws. Correct. Son of Jaws. Jaws 3D was pretty bad too, I recall. And another thing I'm going to pull you up on is uh, listening back, your quiz that's uh, named Edge 
And uh, you often say, oh, let's see if Matt's been listening carefully. Uh, the answers weren't given at any point in the podcast. So you're expecting me to go and do some research on the side to find out what's going on? Like, how am I, how am I going to be educated when you don't even teach me? Like, what percentage of magpies? I mean, because on the guy's jacket, you never mentioned it in the jewels section. And the bit about Kathy Freeman, I mean, you're just expecting me to be a guru on this stuff? What's the go there? Well, my wife got that right. She guessed Queensland, so well done to Sky. But um, our Asian correspondent got the uh, anchors on the jacket. But you're right. I did think about that afterwards. I apologise to people if they're like, where's the answer? Today I will make amends and the answer will be in. The answers will actually this time be in the podcast itself. Thanks for that, Marts. And that was... <gasps> they say what? Wild Kingdom! Okay, welcome to the second segment of Wild Kingdom. I went pretty deep into Blenny's last week. I'm going much more varied animal this week. Man's best friend, the dog. I work at the airport quite a lot, putting up signs, and uh, currently it's a very relaxed place to work because there's no planes coming in and out, so we generally can do what we like. And uh, it's not very strict. But I, I do see security guards, it might be federal police even, and they have their, their dogs there. And uh, I was talking to a lady and, and she had a sniffer dog, which was a, a beagle, and uh, she's asking a bit about it. And she's uh, saying that, that beagles are generally the best at sniffing, but they use other sorts of dogs as well, you know, and uh, I was a bit fascinated by it. And she said that they can, they can smell 100,000 times better than humans and they have uh, something like... Um, three million sensory smelling glands in their nose where we have five million so they they are significantly better smellers I, i've been walking the dog a lot of my my wife's dog banjo i've been walking him a lot lately because rachel's been busy in the morning doing her own exercise where dogs aren't allowed so i've been taking him down to the dog park and um i've, I've been amazed you know after think, hearing this lady say the dogs are you know the best smellers in the world and uh banjo he you know he's, he's smelling stuff he's, he's onto it but he'll come along a giant dog turd and he'll go right up to it and like he stick his nose you know like five millimeters away from him. he's touching it with his nose and he's having a big sniff you know and dog crap's not good smelling stuff and i mean surely you're the best smeller in freaking in the whole world why do you need to get so close to a dog turd what do you reckon about it dan like you've got any ideas why they need to be get right up and sniff it I reckon it's just they're getting a full menu of what that dog ate. Like they can tell a lot about a dog. So maybe that's just full of a lot of info for them of what that dog's done, where he's been, what Powell brand he's, he's having. And just interestingly, I, yeah, 100,000 times you said, didn't you? I read somewhere that that's why their noses are wet because it absorbs the chemicals better. I always you know, we often think that sick dog's got a dry nose, but it's to do with absorbing the chemical. So I'm not sure if you're going to talk about what they can sniff, but um, yeah, I don't know why they'd sniff dog poo that close, but that's all I can think of. More info. I looked into it a bit and apparently there's glands in their butt, anal glands. It's an individual thing and the dog puts its own little scent on the on the crap as it goes out, you know, so maybe it takes a bit of finesse to, to smell between dog turds. Related to that, apparently when a dog puts its tail between its leg, it's blocking the smell coming out of its anal glands. So it's kind of like relates to a human covering their face when they're terrified. You don't want it to be seen. So a dog puts its tail under its between its legs when it's scared it wants to hide really so it's hiding its smell because they smell like they see really yeah and when they smell they see another dog they go straight to smell its butt have you noticed that straight up there get around and they often run around in circles trying to 
it's kind of like saying hello, like, oh, I recognize you from your buddy smell. Like, you're the one who done that turd over in East Street. You know, so they, they definitely uh, can pick up the individual butt smells from each other. Even their urine, the dog, like, if you walk past the same tree, the, all the dogs have, like, left a little calling card on there, you know, and, and Banjo will go up there and you can see sniffing and he's just staying on this one tree sniffing like, this is Max. Max has been here. Brutus, Charlie. Smells like digger, dick. Oh, who else has been? Oh, that bitch Muffy's been here. And, and Butch, buddy. Yeah. You know, so they kind of go through this big list of things. I wonder how far down they can go and how long that urine lasts there because they certainly seem to have a, a, a long sniffer at it. And and they sort of, I think maybe they pee over the top of each other, but, but maybe they can still smell through it because they are really get into it. You had any experience of that? Yeah, absolutely. Albie used to drive me nuts. He'd have to go everywhere. And I used to get frustrated, but, you know, and pull him along. But I'm like, well, this is his chance to really talk. He's, he's out there talking to dogs. And so I started to get much more sympathetic to him needing to pee on things, except other people's umbrellas. And Looking into it, I found an interesting fact that, um, you know, when they're about to, to crouch over and crap one out, they do that kind of running around thing that they're actually trying to align themselves with the magnetic fields of, uh, of the world. So there's magnetic fields going around. And the dog will try to align itself to do poo in the, in alignment with the magnetic field. So don't know why, don't know what that helps it do or why they need to maybe better smelling on the on the magnetic fields, but it's very strange. And then when they, they do that weird little kickback thing on their feet, like have you seen that when they do the crab and then they go and kick a bit of grass on top. I always thought they were just like trying to bring up a bit of dirt, but apparently they've got little glands in their feet as well. So that's another, they leave another little sense there. So. Wow. So those dogs really want to leave the cooling card. You know how you see them do little circle work before they lie down at night? That apparently is due to their history um, being outdoor animals, obviously. They'd flatten the grass in the field and um, then they'd lie in that. So that's basically a kickback to their history and their heritage where they um, push down grass and make a little um, nice cosy spot for themselves. And, of course, they curl up in a ball to protect vital organs and keep warm. So, you know, that's not that long ago that they were running around with the wolves or from the wolves, I guess. Going back to their, uh, their sense of smell, there was um, a thing saying that they can actually, you know, they use them to, to find truffles now. They used to use pigs, but they use dogs down south to, to sniff up truffles, which grow on the ground. And they can even uh, detect cancer in people. They've got ones that they can breathe, detect cancer in people. And uh, they can they, they can smell if you're scared as well. Their, their sense of smell is so good that they can eat if you were a bit, a bit like Wolverine does, you know, you can sniff, sniff fear in you. There, if you saw in the paper this week, there was a um, a, a giant pouch rat. Did you see the giant pouch rat that got a gold medal? No, I didn't see that. Giant pouch rats have even got better smelling than um, than dogs. And the giant pouch rat, one called, he's called Magawa, and he, and he won a gold medal because he, he sniffs up landmines and uh, he, um, he he's so light, you know, he can walk right across the ground without triggering uh, landmines. And I think it's in Uganda or somewhere like that where they've got hundreds and hundreds of thousands of landmines still in the ground there. And uh, Magawa goes along there very carefully walking, walking, walking and sniffs and then somehow signals to, his, uh, to the guy who's got him standing quite far back with a lead and uh, he signals where the mines are and then I dig him up. So good on you, Magawa. That's awesome. Magawa would be in line for a purple poppy on Anzac Day. I love uh, I love animals in uh, warfare. That's they should be recognised. That's incredible. Wow. It's, it's very interesting that all dogs are the same species. They can breed with each other. So you know, theoretically, a uh, a Saint Bernard can knock up a, a Dachshund or a, you know Great Dane 
crossed over with a chihuahua, that, that could actually happen, but maybe not physically possible. But it seems that they're, they're so different in their shape, in their, in their morphology, that you would think they'd be totally different species. You know, things like a, a turtle and a, to- a tortoise can't, can't have babies. As long as you're a dog, you're in it. Even wolves, I'm pretty sure, can breed with dogs. And they have a fair few of those. In America, apparently, lots of... Uh, Lots of half wolf, half dogs, because that's what they like over there, I think. Okay, look, I've got one more thing here about dogs, and I'm not sure whether it's uh, legit. It could just be crap, because it seems crazy to me. But apparently there's a dog in old days, a British dog, called a turnspit. And uh, these dogs were used in the in kitchens in Britain. When they were cooking meat, they used to put the dog in this little wheel, like, you know, a hamster wheel. And the dog would run, and the meat would turn, so they evenly cooked the meat in the, uh, in the oven. That's before, I guess, electricity, but it seems a bit like Flintstones to me, really, doesn't it? <laughs> I could see them doing that. To me, that's why not. We love a rotisserie here in, in the modern era. Why wouldn't they want one back then if they could? And if you have to make a dog do it, obviously a terrier or something, a smaller dog, I guess. I'm going to try it. I'm okay. a hamster and roast a chicken. I have something here with uh, about um, my old dog, which is a Jack Russell, uh, a rough coat Jack Russell, and uh, he... He uh, lived a long life, but he nearly came to, to death a few times because uh, we were living up at Exmouth and it was a pretty rough existence. And uh, I've got a list here of things, that ways that he nearly bought it, basically. So he uh, he once nearly got taken by a giant seagull at the beach, you know, when we, were, we went out on the boat and he followed us down to the beach and the eagle swooped down and nearly scooped him up in his talons and took him away. But the, the, for some reason, recognised it wasn't a rabbit or something at the last minute, so the bird flew away. He... Uh, Got surrounded by a bunch of white-tipped sharks when we were walking on the reef and the tide came in once and they, they kind of had to pick him up and get out of there before the sharks started getting into him. When we were on the boat once, he, uh, he tried to launch himself onto the back of a pilot whale that was that was coming up next to the boat, going around around the boat, and he saw its back and thought, I want a bit of this one, to jump in and eat it. He had many encounters with uh, brown snakes and bung arrows and emus and kangaroos chasing them fearlessly wherever he went. He got uh, attacked by a dingo once when I was riding my bike. I was riding my bike and he was just running behind me and later said, hey, your dog just got bitten by a um, by that dog there. And I looked behind and I said, that's not a dog, that's a dingo. And so I had to go back and put him in my little basket and rode him back and he, he was bleeding out of the ear. And later on, the ranger came around and apparently dingo had been attacking a few people. Needed me to write a story about it, like a, a letter to them so they could move the dingoes out of the town. Apparently the dingo had been actually chasing a lady with a, her pram, Azaria Chamberlain-like, you know, and the lady had to run run into the industrial area. But, yeah, he uh, he was lucky to live that long. He died of, old, of really natural causes eventually. So he had a good life and uh, rest in peace, Rufus. And, of course, Albie, his son. I think uh, we had like a micro version of Rufus's life. He, we lived in Carnarvon for a while. Of course, um, Rufus was off on nightly routing missions in Exmouth, escaping under the fence and everything and um, knocking up all the females in town. And Albie was one of his offspring. And I remember the litter, there must have been nine dogs. And I'd been doing nine puppies and I'd been doing research. I wanted a long-haired, long-legged male, don't ask for much. Um, and there was only one male in the whole litter, amazingly, mm-hmm. one male. And it was a long-haired um, rough coat. Uh, sorry, long-legged rough coat. And I went to pick him up and he ran straight over to me. So it was kind of meant to be with me and Albie. But he he had a couple of brushes, like you mentioned Bungara, the Yungaji. Up in Nalu, he um, got bailed up by like, it must have been seriously a seven-foot-long Bungara. It was massive and it, was, it could have eaten him easily. They'd take small lambs. He was not much bigger than that. He was just barking at it. He used to go out 
I'd, I'd kite surf in Carnarvon and it's pretty sharky in, in, through the channel out at Babbage Island and um, he used to swim out after me. I'd go round, out and round an island with my friends and we'd come back and Albie would be in the middle of the ocean just paddling along and nearly drowning, to be honest. He'd be vertical in the water. So I got him a little life jacket with a handle on it so I could scoop him up, So, but I'd scoop him up with the handle and roll into shore and kind of do an arc and chuck him back onto the land um, and just the vest would keep him afloat because he'd just follow you anywhere, as you know. I used to snorkel with him on my back and so people on the shore would just think this dog was like walking on water because it was just on my back moving along in the ocean and people would think, oh, that dog's just... That's crazy. It's Jesus, the dog. He had a really good life. And he, and I think he was only the only one of the, that litter of dogs that actually lasted more than a couple of years or four or five years. But he got to 12 or 13. And yeah, they, they love the great north, don't they, those dogs? They're, they're good. Wow. They're sometimes a pain in the bum, Jack Russell. Yeah, they are definitely difficult to look after and need input, you know, by the owner. You can't just have one of those in your, uh, leave it out the back, you know, it'll, it'll tear the shreds out of your backyard. I think that's the bottom line. They need adventure and they love it. So a few facts I've got on um, dogs. We'll start at the beginning. Dogs, prehistoric dogs, uh, resembled Siberian huskies. About 31,700 years ago, they reckon. They uh, came from 31,000 years ago. Um, from the, the Siberian Husky is the closest sort of resembling the prehistoric dog. The Seleuci, I think that's how you pronounce it. Seleuci is the oldest breed of dog. They're those elegant ones you see on Egyptian tombs, about 2100 BC. They, they were around, really long nose. Here's one for you, bro. A quick quiz question without notice. The oldest reliably recorded dog was an Australian cattle dog, 29 years and five months old. Drum roll. What do you reckon that dog was called? Digger. Oh, close. No, you're not close at all. Um, Australian cattle dog. Bluey. Of course. Oh, yeah. What else do I have? What the smartest breeds of dog? What do you reckon the smartest breeds of dog would be, bro? Obviously, everyone thinks your your breed at home. My breed's the smartest, but what do you reckon? Is correct. I've got three listed here. Poodle, Labradoodle, and Cockadoodle. Golden Retrievers apparently are pretty intelligent. They do a good job as blind dogs and stuff like that. They always seem to knock coffee cups and over and stuff like that to me. But anyway, and the Border Collie, of course, um, sheep dogs. Very smart. Raining cats and dogs. We've all heard that saying. It's been raining cats and dogs. Um, that saying comes from 17th century England. There'd be heavy downpours of rain and the towns would burst their banks and there would be these torrents of waters running through the town and um, all the animals like the cats and dogs would drown. Not all of them, but most most of them, and they'd be carried down the streets through these torrents of water and people would think that they, well, I don't know if they thought they were, but it looked like it had been raining cats and dogs because the water would be rushing through the town and there'd be all these dead dogs and cats. So that's where the saying raining cats and dogs comes. So this is my quiz question. There are 600 million dogs on earth, roughly, obviously, 600 million. So my first quiz question for this podcast is how many of those do you think are strays? 600 million dogs, how many do you think are strays? And I'll give you three possible answers. Is it 20 million of the 600 million? Is it 100 million of the 600 million? Or is it 400 million of the 600 million? How many are strays? Okay, I'll come back to that. And that is the end of Wild Kingdom! Pop culture. Yeehaw! All right. 
Welcome to another episode of Op Culture. Now, I'm going against tradition of a long-held tradition of uh, doing Mount Rushmore in the sports part, but uh, so I'm doing Mount Rushmore today, mixing it up a little bit after the same system for a whole one episode, so I'm changing up, and I'm doing a Mount Rushmore of dog movies, my best dog movies, you know. Everyone would have seen a few of them. These are the top five, five that is, not four, top five dog movies. So number one is Benji. Everyone loves Benji. He's a cute little dog who kind of gets in trouble and ends up saving people. He, he goes from town to town, basically saving little kids, and uh, he's a little bit like the Hulk, you know, the Hulk used to go down the road. It was so popular, they went on from there and they had another movie called For the Love of Benji. Benji, his very own Christmas. Benji the Hunted, which is a bit like Benji in Fugitive. And Benji Off the Leash, which I don't know what happens there. I think Benji doing stand-up comedy. That's like Benji Unchained. Was there no Benji. son of Benji? No son of Benji. That might be coming next, son of Benji. So, yeah, I don't think they were so good. A bit like Jaws movies. I think the original one was the best. And after that, they went downhill badly. Number two is Homeward Bound. Now, Homeward Bound is a movie that's close to my heart. You know, I remember when I was a young kid and uh, it's three animals that um, decide to go looking for their, their owners after uh, after their owners go on a holiday somewhere. And, and it's, a, it's a two two dogs and a cat, Sassy, which was some Siamese cat or something like that, and uh, Shadow, he was the golden retriever, and Chance was American Bulldog, whose voice was done by Michael J. Fox for some reason. It's a really good story. Uh, they, they follow across the whole whole of America to try and find their owners eventually do. I think it was based on a true story, except that dogs don't talk and why would they have Michael J. Fox's voice? And the third on the uh, list of five all-time dog movies is an old favourite, Old Yeller. Old Yeller's from 1957 and still stands up. I mean, if you haven't seen Old Yeller, get out there and have a look at it, but get your tissues ready. It's a bit of a spoilers, everyone. Old Yeller, he dies. Number four. This is where most people's Mount Rushmore would end, but I've still got another one. Is, of course, Turner and Hooch. You get that? Yeah. Turner and Hooch, an old movie. It's a team up movie of uh, Tom Hanks and a uh, big slobbering mutt. I don't know what sort of dog that was. Do you have any idea? No, I don't know what Hooch was, what sort of dog. Yeah, mixed breed by the looks of it. Anyway, it's a good movie. Get together and uh, they solve crimes. Yeah, it was great. Turner and Hooch, obviously a favourite. Number five, I had to put this one in there. Number five is Red Dog. Red Dog is uh, a great, great Australian story about a dog who's uh, he's not owned by anyone really, but he is a true story. He doesn't talk, this dog, so it must be true. And he goes uh, around just getting loose all around the Kimberley and Pilbara area based on a true story. I'm pretty sure Red Dog 2, that wasn't so good, but yeah, Red Dog's good. Honourable mentions here as usual, so I don't like to just keep it down to five. I've got oh, my dog Skip, which I think was a Jack Russell. Of course, Air Bud, everyone's favourite dog slash sport movie. Cujo. Actually, I hated Cujo. That's, I don't know why I put in there. Oh, yeah, it's written hated. So that was not immensely from that. That was a stupid movie. I don't know why you'd be scared of a dog. He's hit it with head with a cricket bat. Eight Below, though. Eight Below is a good, good, good movie about uh, huskies, and they get, I think it's a true story, too, and have eight huskies or something that save, join together. And Anyway, worth a look at those ones, but not Cujo. Don't hit a dog in the head with a cricket bat, people. Okay, and have you got any dogs that I missed? Uh, yeah, a couple. But um, just, yeah, Cujo, of course, Stephen King. So I don't, it's, I don't even know if it's really a dog movie. It's a horror movie. But anyway. It's a dog. How's a dog horror? you got to work that one out. That lady yeah, struggled a bit. I quite enjoyed 
enjoyed it, but yeah, I'm a bit of a Stephen King fan. Um, my Mount Rushmore. So you do yours in a weird numbering style, Mark. So you go from five. So one is your five is your best, was it? So your best was the one you mentioned last, correct? Yeah, not really. I think no particular order. It's all five. Right. Right. Okay. All right. Mount Rushmore is not the favourite president first. It's just all presidents. Okay. Right. I'm getting the idea. All right. So mine, um, I agreed with Turner and Hooch. I had that. So number, uh, just a mention on Benji. Benji was 1974. So yeah, that's a long time ago. And he fell for Tiffany, a Maltese, for those Maltese fans. Um, I like Marley and Me, 2008. Um, this because it you know everyone has problems training their dog and this dog's just out of control. But he teaches the family lessons on life, so that's a good one. Marley and Me, two thousand and eight. Uh, White Fang, nineteen ninety one, with Ethan Hawke. I really enjoy that film. It's, it's pretty cool in the uh, out in the wilderness snow. Um, I mean, I think White Fang is a slash uh, wolf dog. So I guess that counts. Number three, I had A Dog's Purpose, Tear Jerker, 2017. That was made. A nice idea of um, a dog coming back and back and back and again, being reincarnated and, and making it back to its same owner. So I guess Martz and I would love that idea that Albie and Rufus could somehow come back again. Number two, I had Turner and Hooch. I love that film, not just because it had Turner in it. It was very orderly. He had like a dustbuster in his car and then his life's disrupted by Hooch, the brutish dog that witnessed a murder. So it saw the kill and it remembered and it ate his seat in his car and slobbered all over him. He was Hooch was also set in his ways and distressed over his owner's murder. So they were kind of both really set in their ways and they had to adjust for each other. I think these dog movies are fantastic. They teach um, simple life lessons. 1989 for that. I remember seeing it at the movies. It was really good. Tom Hanks kind of kicked off his career a bit with that one. And number one for me, I had Fox and the Hound. It was one of the first movies I think I ever saw, like good cartoon movies. 1981, Mickey Rooney played Todd, a red fox, um, and the hound dog was played by uh, Kurt Russell. Copper was his name. And they had a strong friendship during their childhood, the fox and the hound. But, of course, as they entered adulthood, they succumbed to peer group pressure and distanced themselves from each other. And, of course, it ended in you know them having to try to kill each other. Corey Feldman played young copper. Corey Feldman from Stand By Me and the little brat pack in the uh, 80s. But um, just a really good movie about how you can drift apart from your friends when you realize that you're meant to socially not be friends or stuff like that. Like can kind of relate it to when you've got a friend in a different year group and or outside of school and then he comes to school and he's not kind of fitting with your friends. And that happened to me. I had a, a mate who was a really good friend outside of school and then joined my school and my friends didn't particularly like him and he didn't like them. And it kind of reminded me of Fox and the Hound. So like when you have casual day at school, you know, and uh, you, you normally get the same uniform every day, every day, and then suddenly you go to school on casual day and the guy you always hang out with is like wearing his school uniform still or half his school uniform and a T-shirt. What's going on? Why? Because he's on the wrong side of the tracks, you know, and he can't, uh, can't afford to buy a pair of board shorts and the uh, casual day's a bad, bad, bad day for him. So uh. You kicked your friend to the curb because he couldn't afford uh, Billabong. Um, and an honourable mention from me is a Pixar short. It's a really short little show, uh, show but it's called Kit Bull. Um, Google it on YouTube, Kit Bull. Uh, a really cute little um, Pixar short is about a dog and a cat that um, make an unlikely friendship. So that's, that's worth a look if you haven't seen it. And that brings us to the end of... Culture. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Sports Alert. Sports Alert. Sports Alert. Okay, so welcome to Sports Alert for episode two. Uh, 
a lot on going on in sport this week. Of course, um, we're on the eve. The Eagles play Collingwood tonight, bro. We're obviously massive Eagles fans. Um, um, so I'm <laughs> hoping that, to me, honestly, in this mixed-up season of 2020, I don't expect us to win the premiership. But if we could knock Collingwood out of the race again, that would be enough for me. What about you? Yeah, I'm really nervous about this one. We seem to always stumble on these uh, must-win finals. I think uh, we uh, we haven't done too well in the final series, besides grand final, but uh, we can't, I don't know, just struggle a bit. And I think this is a real danger coming. Everyone's riding Collingwood off and, uh, you know, if Eagles don't turn up like they have a few times this year, I think we're going to have to be play our best, but should win. Don't know if we will. I think that's exactly right. If they don't turn up, they'll get pumped. But if um, if they're at their, you know, if they're playing well at home, they could just string it together very well. Yeah, you know, what might be a good idea if I put twenty on Collingwood, that would probably make us win because had twenty on uh, Geelong, they fell over. Had twenty on Richmond, sure thing against Brisbane, forty dollars down. So twenty on uh, the Magpies today. I'll be happily lose twenty. Yeah, I think you famously left the broom races naked because you lost everything, including your jocks. <laughs> Not the best gambler in the world. Always a good sign that your team's going to win if Mart's bets against them. I'm going to start with, related to the Eagles, uh, Will Schofield has retired. Good old Will. He started in round 17, 2007. I know he loves a good podcast. He comes from Uncle Mick, uh, Mick Turner and the Geelong Falcons. That was the breeding ground of a lot of uh, good Geelong footballers, but we snared him. I think one of the things about Will is that every goddamn time he gets the ball and runs out of fullback, which he does a lot, he's good at that, granted. Bloody Brian Taylor harps on about how he was an 800-metre champion for Geelong grammar and could have gone to the Olympics or was state rep. I mean, fair enough, Brian, you know, once or twice... Yes, but we've all heard it like a million times. Yeah, the guy can run two laps of the oval really fast. So, Brian, enough of the 800 metres. I guess that is it now. Yeah, that's the same as Pendlebury. Whenever Pendlebury comes on, oh, he's got a basketball background, you know. Yeah, right, move on. Yeah, they need some more material, some of those guys. I mean, I think we could dedicate a whole episode to the current um, commentary team. I really, Bruce McAvaney, I mean, don't get me started. Is he sitting on Brian's lap while they're commentating? I kind of get a feeling like it's like a little puppet sitting on Brian's lap. And Anyway, but he um, had a loss in a GF in 2015, and then I think we were all so happy. I mean, I saw actually Eric McKenzie before the, the GF that I went to in 2018, um, and I was so, so sorry for the Big E. Uh, he was pretty devastated, but um, if anyone could take his place, it would be Scoey. So he got this 2018 membership, uh, sorry, premiership, and became a life member. Played 194 games, tried to bash down Simo's door to get 200, but um, he, he got attacked in 2013. I don't know if you remember this, bro, after a loss to the Pies in round 22 in 2013. He got, a, he got attacked by Pies fans. Tiding of Magpies. That's it. Yeah, a tiding of magpies swooped down and beat the living bejesus out of poor old Will. Um, but then in 2018, he, he lost a bit of weight to become more versatile. So he was always willing to do what it, what it took to, you know, fill a role. Uh, and he got his shot in 2018 and took it with both hands. I think he was one of the best players on the ground. He was amazing what he did on, um, was it side bottom? I think he was on and just shut him down. 
Or was it Dugowie? No, Dugowie. Dugowie, yeah. Yeah, he was on Dugowie and just, you know, Dugowie got some goals, but they weren't when Will was playing on him. He was brilliant. He just was that kind of player. He'd do whatever it took to be in the team on the day. Loves the footy club. So um, well done, Will, on a fantastic career. I know you're a big podcaster, so tune in um, and get your accolades, mate, because uh, you're a big part of the of the 2018 Premiership and you've been a great player for a long time. Okay, so I guess it's my section of sports alert today. And I'm going to carry on with the uh, with the dog theme that I'm pushing hard this week and I'm going to do greyhounds. Great greyhounds races of all time at Gloucester Park. Oh, my God. You didn't pass this by me in uh, pre-production. Um, I'm kidding. I'm not doing greyhounds. That would be it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, I'm going to do a uh, section on the British Bulldogs. Now, they're not the actual dog, but the wrestling team, the uh, wrestling team. And people say, yeah, sports, that's not really a sport, Matt. It is, in fact, a sport. If darts is a sport, freaking wrestling is a sport. Well, I mean, energy goes into wrestling than in cricket or surely badminton. You know, they, I mean, once you get around your head that they're not actually going against each other in reality, but they, they still – the manoeuvres they have to do, and it's kind of like synchronised fighting – so that's what, probably what it is. But, you know, it, it, these guys are athletes, supreme athletes. The two guys I'm talking to about today were a good example of that, and uh, that's Davey Boy Smith and the Dynamite Kid. So uh, they're actually cousins. Uh, the Dynamite Kid's real name was Tom Billington. Davey Boy Smith. I don't couldn't find out what his real name was. Any idea? Davey Boy Smith. Dave Smith. Dave, Dave Smith, yeah. He chucked in the boy in the middle. Right, we got it. They had the same same grandfather. That's uh, Their grandpa was Billy Billy Billington. He wasn't a wrestler. He just had a stupid name. Billy Billington. Davy Boy was 1.8 metres and uh, and a Dynamite Kid was in 1.73. They weren't the huge, the tallest guys, but they, they weighed in a pretty muscly combined weight of 218 kilograms. The uh, British Bulldogs, they uh, sometimes used to bring that dog along with them. I don't remember the dog. That was called Matilda, the Bulldog, which is, you know, and then I think Matilda cut and they got... Another one called Winston after that, which is a bit more British. Okay, anyway, the history of these guys is quite interesting. They um, they, they grew up in Wigan in Lancashire in the UK, and uh, they obviously decided that they wanted to have a wrestling career, so so they headed over to Canada and, and went in a stampede wrestling competition, which I never heard of, but apparently it's a big thing back in Canada. Effortlessly fluid wrestling technique. and sent them straight to the top, and they were a pretty big pretty big wrestlers in Stampede League. They actually were against each other for a while. They had a feud, and uh, for some reason, Dynamite Kid used to tease Davy Boy about being a test tube baby. So I don't know what that was about, but pretty strange. You know, after they uh, dominated in Canada, they went over to Japan and joined joined up. They all became the tag team champions first time in 1984. Then uh, Vince McMahon from uh, WWF fame, he, he took over the uh, Japanese League, and uh, he brought it over and, and joined to the brought them into the WWF. And uh, he also, at the same time, another team called the uh, Dream Team, which was Bret Hart and Jim Neidhart, they uh, came across the WWF for the first time as well. And they ended up being kind of big enemies, these two, uh, these two teams. Um, the, the Hart Foundation is Bret Hart and Jim Neidhart. And uh, the Dream Team is uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine and Brutus Beefcake. Sorry about that, everyone. But, yeah, I got it mixed up a bit there. Brutus the Barber Beefcake? Didn't he used to cut people's hair after he beat them? I think, yeah, I think he uh, was the barber there for a while. Brutus Beefcake, yeah. Yeah, that's right. He did. He used to. Um... Anyway, they uh, they fought each other all, a hell of a lot. And, uh, and then they had their hugest fight in WrestleMania 4, and they won the belt. 
And uh, they had in their corner, um, everyone remember Ozzy Osbourne and uh, Captain Lou Alabama, and, and no wonder they won with a team like that, Ozzy Osbourne there in your corner, and uh, they, they defeated the uh, Dream Team there after many, many bouts of, of each other, hating each other. In 1987, Dynamite Kid got really badly injured, back injury in one of the wrestlers. That slowed them down for a while because of the Heart Foundation. Will they give it to them? Remember that, Dan? Yeah, I think it was, yeah, like after the 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 bout, it was just ongoing punishment, wasn't it? They just chicken-winged him and all that sort of thing. Yeah, that's right. I think um, the umpire was, got KO'd with the uh, Jim, Jim, Jimmy the Mouth of the South uh, megaphone and uh, then there was no... No, controlling the uh, Heart Foundation, and they uh, just went to town on him. I was going to say that, that that WrestleMania match that you mentioned, you've got a lot of people on the uh, curtain of the old squared circle there that would have caused a lot of fuss and had, uh, what do you call it, foreign objects. You've got Jimmy the Mouth of the South, Ozzy Osbourne, and Lou Alabama. Yeah, and in, anyway, back in 1990, the, uh, the team split up, and uh, that was uh, the end of the the British Bulldogs, and uh, after a long life of um, cocaine and steroids, Davy Boy Smith, he died in May 2002, age 39. And then uh, 20 years later, on his 60th birthday, uh, the Dynamite Kid, he was in a wheelchair for a fair bit of his, his last bit of his life. On his, he died in December 2018. So unfortunately, they, they, had, they were a great team and uh, they fought many good bouts. The uh, No more. And then their, their team's no more and they, they both are Rest in peace, British Bulldogs. So that's it for my uh, sports alert section. I remember um, they kind of got me in a little bit into wrestling because uh, WWF, because they were just aerialists. They worked beautifully, like you said, fluidly together. They were they were amazing, and they did some seriously good stuff off the ropes and big entertainers. I'm going to finish up uh, this segment, if that's all right, bro, with a bit of a ode to um, a true legend this week. Um, Dean Jones, known to his uh, fellow teammates as the legend or just ledge, known to us as Jonesy or the Jones boy, uh, just, yeah, way too young. Unfortunately, he had a heart attack. His ticky gave up on him. Poor old Brett Lee had to try to revive him and then went on the air straight, the very next day to broadcast, which is a bit rough. Jonesy, to me, it reminds me of Summers, Summers watching cricket, Tester Booed against the West Indies of all teams in at Queen's Park, Port of Spain in 1984. And he was told five minutes before the toss that he was um, going to play. And in tr- true Jonesy style, he offered to open the batting. Um, someone got sick. Um, he was sick too the night before. He uh, went out and faced Joel Garner, Malcolm Marshall and Holding, three of the most intimidating bowlers of all time in his debut. And do you remember watching Jonesy play, Martz? Yeah, he was a... Uh... A flamboyant batsman, I remember that. He, he did some really beginnings. He'd always make sure you stay seated and watch him because he, he'd often send it to the boundary. Yeah, he was a great stroke player and just wouldn't be intimidated by the bowlers, wouldn't be dictated to by the bowlers. He'd always take them on, play his way. He preferred fielding in the outfield, so he didn't believe in fielding the slips because he can get broken fingers. Not that he was a coward, he just didn't want to um, damage his chances with the bat because he was all about batting, but a really talented outfielder. He played 161 days. I would have loved to have seen him play T20s. He was made for that. He bowled some pretty handy spinners, um, and he just would have loved T20s. But he often saved the day in one days. Famously scored a 210 in Madras, the Madras sauna, they called it, in India, and had to be hospitalized. Seriously reckon he nearly died. 
with a drip uh, in his veins, um, just that dehydrated. But 210, like the mental strength of the guy and physical strength, he just would not give up the baggy green. And I used to love watching when he'd take his helmet off, he'd get to about 40 or 50 and he'd get rid of the helmet and put on the baggy green or the yellow and just give it to the batters. And, you know, you knew then that he was not going to get out when he put his baggy on. And in the 80s and 90s, I think only Viv Richards had better stats with the red and the white ball than Dino. He was just um, the best batsman in that era after Viv Richards, probably, and that's saying something. I think, you know, his running between wickets, they used to call him the racehorse, I think, because he would turn a one into a two like a dodgy vindaloo. Like he would um, just, there was never a one in it, and he would turn it into a two quite easy um, with his pace. He was the first one that really made that running between wicket a big Australian thing, and, it, and it's now one of our trademarks. He famously complained to Curtly Ambrose uh, and really fired him up. <laughs> I'm not sure if you can remember that. That's going to be my quiz question. What was it? And sorry, bro, but I'm going to go with one that I haven't given the direct answer because there are some sports buffs out there that might remember. There's something that Kirtley was wearing that annoyed Jonesy and he complained about it. And then for the next hour, Kirtley just threw down fireballs. What was it Jones complained about on Kirtley Ambrose? Vale Dino, you were a true legend of the game. You improved the game. You were all about the game. You weren't arrogant. You were just intelligent and uh, a, a true legend of cricket in Australia at a time when cricket was at its best. So, Vale Dean Jones. Ladies and gentlemen, that was... Sports Alert! Sports Alert! Sports Alert! It's quiz time! Alrighty, now we're at everyone's favourite part of the podcast, the quiz section. Alright, so uh, this time I'm going to run the dog theme all the way through. So we're doing the quiz on dogs as well. This time the dogs are going to be about famous cartoon dogs. So I'm going to say the name of the dog, the dog's name, and maybe the TV show if you need to remember where it is. And you just got to kind of guess what sort of dog it was, what breed, because uh, basically they all were based on some sort of dog this Sometimes there's totally amorphous dogs like Goofy. Goofy is a dog, but he wasn't any sort of dog. He's just a dog's head on a human's body. He doesn't even have a tail, did he? He a tail. It's just a dog's head, wasn't he? Yeah, I think just a dog's head. I actually just found out that this is completely unrelated, but did you know that Casper the Ghost is just Richie Rich with no clothes on? <laughs> and he's got the same flow. Same face, that's for sure. Yeah. Exactly the same. It's like they use the exact same template. So check that out next time you're uh, looking at comics. Richie Rich is actually Casper the Ghost, just with no clue. Yeah, maybe. Okay. So, uh, for example, yeah, no, but back to Goofy for a sec. Yeah, Goofy, the weird thing about it is, is Pluto, right? Because Pluto's in the same show. This is um, Mickey Mouse show, right? The Mickey Mouse has a dog called Pluto. Pluto can't talk. Pluto's like, <laughs> Goofy is... Mickey Mouse's mate, he lives down the road, drives a car and has his own house. I just don't quite understand how one dog gets to be a human dog and another dog just a pet dog. It's like, a, what the hell, Walt Disney, just give Pluto a chance. Okay, so an example of this would be like, uh, I say Scooby-Doo and what sort of dog would he be? Uh, Scooby-Doo is a great Dane. Yep, that's it. Okay, so you got Scooby-Doo. And what about next one, Snoopy from Peanuts? Snoopy? Is, oh, geez, I want to say Dalmatian, but he's, is he a, is he a 
No, he's not a beagle. Crikey. Snoopy. You're right. Um, I'm going to give you that. He's a beagle. Okay. Um, what about Ren? You know from Ren and Stimpy show? Ren? You know that show? Oh, he's a chihuahua. He's a chihuahua and Stimpy is a cat, but he's a Manx cat, whatever that is. Repulsive, both of them. That's <laughs> one of my favourite Okay. What about Santa's Little Helper? Do you know what show he's from? Yeah, that's the Simpsons. I would go Greyhound. For him. You're on fire, Greyhound. Ding! Another one. Well done. Okay, so uh, the Beagle Boys from Uncle Scrooge. Can you remember what sort of dogs they were, Beagle Boys? Mm, they were nasty bullies, weren't they? they I'm going to have to go with Beagles. Bulldogs, you nearly got it then, you said. Okay, and uh, have you ever watched Shaun the Sheep? Yep, love Shaun the Sheep. Uh, Bitzer's in that. What sort of dog is he? Yeah, he's kind of – you'd think cattle dog, but he's not. He's like a bit of a mongrel, bits of this and a bits of that. You'd think so, but you're better on – you're on the right track before. He's a sheep dog, you know, Sean. Oh, yeah. he's a sheep dog. Okay, what about – was definitely a sheep dog. He was a proper collie. All right, let's skip down to that one then. Uh, dog, his name was. and uh, Dog, yeah. He's a border collie. Border collie, and famously uh, – he had a real name, but no one ever knew what it was. That's kind of a mystery of dog. He, he hated his real name, and he only just went with dog. Interesting, right? What was his real name? No one ever knows. It's like the he had his name, but it was never revealed what it was. Because he had like Shirley or Shirley, Marvin, yeah. maybe, maybe uh, Wilbur, something like that. Who knows? Okay, and uh, what about Brain from Inspector Gadget? What sort of dog was he? So, who was it in Brain? Someone in the brain. Penny. No, no, you're thinking of a different show. Inspector Gadget was... Uh, oh, Inspector Gadget, right. Yeah, okay. the brain. Yeah, I was thinking of those two mice. Thinking, thinking uh, in the brain, yeah. In the brain, yeah. Oh, Inspector Gadget, jeez. I'd be going a terrier or something. Yeah, he was no sort of dog. He's had glasses and stuff, so he's just a human dog person. Oh, yeah, he was a nerd, wasn't he? That's right, nerd dog. Okay, and uh, what about Brian from The Family Guy? I love Brian. He's one of my all-time favourite cartoon dogs. Uh, he would have to be – he's kind of just a round-nosed dog that is just a dog. I'm going to go with – he's a terrier, isn't he? It's got to be a terrier. Or something. No, no, he's a laboratory retriever. I don't know there's such a thing. Okay, as yeah, that makes sense. It's a lab. Okay, so what about Gromit from Wallace and Gromit? Gromit. They all seem to look the same to me. Is he a retriever? I go with that. No, Beagle. Beagle. Yeah, there seems to be a lot of Beagles in these shows. What about Mr. Peabody from Rocky and Bullwinkle show? Oh, gee. Has he got glasses? Uh, sound like he would, doesn't he? Mr. Peabody. Mm. I can't remember what he looks yeah. like. Uh, I'm going to go with a Beagle. Actually, that's correct. I just pressed the button. Sorry. but you are going to get it wrong. But, yeah, Beagle. So I'll take that back. Ding! Well done. Okay, now we're going to go to the Wacky Races. You remember Muttley? Muttley from the Wacky yep. Races? Yeah, I remember Muttley. He, oh, gosh, what is that? Um, Dick Dastardly's dog. It's like a Tasmanian devil. I'm going to go with a, mm, no, no idea. Don't even know what that is. A, a mongrel. Oh, you got it right. Mongrel. Oh, yes. Muttley, he's a mongrel dog, mixed of all sorts of races. Actually, in my, my research, they wrote down what sort of dogs he's mixed with, but it was a whole bunch of them. So right wow. What about Snowy from Tintin? I think we talked about this. He's got to be a terrier, surely. Yeah. What sort of terriers? A lot of terriers. Scottish terrier? No. Highland terrier. terrier. White fox terrier. He's okay. a, a bit like Rufus. Healthy, I guess. 
Okay, and then Tom and Jerry. Remember when Tom and Jerry there in Cats and they used to fight it with the cat and the mouse and then, then there would be this big dog there and he's called Spike. What's a dog was he? A Alsatian. A bulldog. He was a big bulldog. Remember we had Colin Spike the bulldog. And that brings us to the end of the Know Your Dog quiz. Lots of dogs out there, lots of beagles and cartoons. I'm going to yeah. wrap up today's podcast with my quiz answers, and we'll start with number one, bro. How many strays out of the 600 million dogs on Earth are? How many of them are strays? There are 600 million dogs on Earth. I think. I well, weirdly, I uh, the dog researcher. We must have picked on the same dog. Know your dog facts, and uh, I saw this answer, and weirdly, more weird. I remembered it was 400 million. Correct. 66%. Yeah, that's so many. Maybe it's mainly from Bali. There's a lot of stray dogs. Yeah, that's a bit of a sad stat, that one. I read that stray dogs in Russia, they're so smart. They get onto the very complicated subway system. Dogs are just the street dogs. They just jump on the train and they can go from where they want to go. They actually know where to get on and off. Don't kick it off. It knows where it's going. Yeah, but that's a bit sad. 66% of all dogs on the on earth are strays. So please think carefully before you go and purchase yourself a dog because they are, as Martin Old testify, hard work. Question two, our Asian correspondent, persnickety Josh Gargett, mm-hmm. uh, correspondent, what country was he uh, persnicketing from? But we love you, Josh, and thanks for that. Oh, right, so he did actually put, he did put the answers in there. In the, in the yes, book. the answer was in there for that ah, one. Well, that was Japan, right? Ah, uh, he's from China. He's in China. He's been teaching English over in China for years now. Come back, Josh, but um, keep your comments coming because we love your knowledge of everything. Josh used to famously read an atlas and a dictionary for entertainment. I think he knows every. He actually knows my phone numbers, every phone number I've ever had, which is bizarre because I don't remember. Get a laugh, Josh. <laughs> Okay, last question. Um, Dean Jones famously complained about something that Kurtley Ambrose was wearing as he was bowling in and fired him up. What was Yeah, that the, was uh, his wristbands. Two out of three. And as Meatloaf said, two out of three ain't bad. Yeah, I just want to finish up with a, uh, a recipe. Okay, so I've got a recipe that I've been, uh, I've researched. And uh, from China, actually. Carrying on the dog theme, a special stir-fried dog recipe that I've got here. Oh, lovely. No, I'm not going to read that out, actually, because that's bad for people to eat dogs. Don't eat dogs, people. Don't hit them with cricket bats and don't eat them. Yeah, thanks again for downloading. Make sure you pass us on. We'd love to hit 200 downloads this this episode. So pass us on to random people who might just enjoy uh, listening. doesn't have to be um, anyone we know. Please download us, pass us on. That was episode two dedicated to dogs. If you have a dog, give it a hug for us, the Turner Brothers. Signing off. Thanks for listening. Keep on chewing. So we'll see you next time on Chew the Fat with Dan and Matt. We can send you, I told you. Help the vibrations of the universe inside of me. Help me beat the shit out of me.